0: greatest books in, in the greatest book of the Bible. So this week, this week is our, is our conclusion of Romans 8. And the point of this last passage is that it's summing up the, the whole chapters 1 through 8 is a, a summary of what the gospel is, how God saved us, and then the rest of the book is going to talk about what that means for our lives, how to apply it how we come to believe that gospel. And so we're kind of right in the middle here. And before we move on from what the gospel is, Paul has a very specific question for us. He essentially asks, who cares? Who cares? What does this gospel that we've been talking about for for weeks and weeks, for eight chapters, what does it actually mean for our lives? And he starts the passage, uh, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say? And that's the question of of today. In light of the gospel and everything that Christ has done, what do we say? What do we say to the fact that we have been saved by faith, not by the law? That we have been saved by, by grace as a free gift? Not because you're good or because you're bad, but because God gave you salvation. What do we say to the fact that we don't have to live by the flesh to muster up this obedience, but that we can live by the freedom of the Spirit, just believing his promises? What do we say? So let's look at Romans 8, verses 31 through uh, through 38. If you can turn there, and we'll read it together. Romans 8, verses 31 through 38. Read with me. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is a glorious passage. And it's... it's almost too much for us that as we read these, this passage, we ask that it would touch our hearts. The Holy Spirit would, would show us that these things are indeed true. That the gospel has created such assurance and guarantee and, and glory for us. Father, I ask that in looking at these words, we would have great joy in your presence and great peace and great victory. We pray in Christ's name, Amen. All right. So, what do we say to these things? What do we say to these things? And Paul, Paul specifically, he doesn't ask. Uh, he doesn't just throw out a bunch of facts. These are questions. These are questions, and they demand answers. And so, as we're going through this passage, think think of what the answers are to these questions. What are your answers to these questions? If you're answering these questions any differently than Paul, then we don't fully understand the gospel. That we don't understand what it is that Christ has done for us, just how glorious this good news is. And so he he presents them as questions that we may answer, that we may say them with him, that these are the truths that that we proclaim. And the first, the first is kind of the, the central question, and the central relationship here is, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's going to be, gonna be the, the central question. The central, what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And now, if we actually know who God is, the God that we, we sang about earlier, we have to answer that question, no one. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. And nothing can stand against this God. That we know our God. That God is the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, that God is the one whom no one can, can question, whom no one can defeat, whom no one can can raise raise an eyebrow against. And this is the one who sovereignly ordains all things. That who created Satan himself and who has him on a leash who has portioned everything that has ever happened in your life perfectly with a purpose. And the question is if if God is for us, who can be against us? Who is stronger? Who is who's craftier? No one. No one. And that is the great assurance of the gospel. If God is for us, who can be against us? Absolutely no one. But, but, what's the problem with that statement? That's an an if. There's a big if there. If God is for us. And the question is, is, is God really for you? And how do you know? Is he for you? If he is, if he is, everything is set. And you have nothing to fear. If he's not, then all of this falls flat. And so maybe, maybe we ask the question, okay, is God for me? And you think, well, I'm a pretty good person. He's, he's, he's probably for me. Or I, I try really hard. He, he might be for me. I'm at least better than that guy. He's going to be for more for me than he is for him. All right, that, Paul, Paul is looking for something so much better than that. And so this first, this first question that Paul asks, is a, a second hypothetical question, answers that question, is, is God for you? Look at verse 32. Is God for you? Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him graciously, grac- with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Is God for you? Paul's answer is, he gave you Jesus. He gave you Jesus. And that's where we have to, we have to remember, this father, the father delights in Jesus more than he delights in anyone. That, that the son is the, is the apple of his eye, his one and only son, his beloved, his, his greatest joy. And what does it say? The father, the father gave him up for us. He gave him over to death for us. That when he considered what he should do with these sinful people, he could have done, he could have done a million other things. He could have condemned us right there and, and then. He could have just pieced out of the situation and left us to ourselves to to destroy one another. He could have just started the whole thing over. But no, instead, he gave up his one and only son. And then we have to remember that that the father was as grieved by that as Jesus was grieved by, by enduring it that this was the, the greatest sorrow that the father has ever experienced was, was the loss and the, the death of his son. And we would consider that. We consider, all right, he gave up his son for you. Will he not also give you all things? God is for those he gives his son to. And if you are in Jesus, if you have received Jesus, you have received the greatest thing the Father could possibly give you. And if you wanted, wanted to test God and say, well, I, I want you to prove that you're for me, he gives us the greatest thing he could possibly give us. The thing he delights in more than anything else. And then he asks the question, do you believe me or not? Do you believe him? Do you believe that God is for you? If he gave you the Son, he will give you all things. Now, there's some messiness in that all things, which we talked about last week, or two two weeks ago. That all things, all things are not necessarily all the things that we would expect or the things that we would want. But he gives us all the things that we need, sorrow and suffering included, that we might be glorified, that we might look like Jesus Christ, this precious one. And so Jesus gives us the greatest thing, and then he gives us everything we need to look like that precious one, Jesus Christ. This is a God who is for us in Jesus Christ. Who is for us. And that's where we have doubts. We have doubts that come in and we look at what God has given us and we 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 question. God, are you really good? God, do you really love me? Are you are you giving me what's best? And we are we're told to to kill those doubts and attack those doubts with the force of this passage. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for me, will he not give me all things? God is for you in Jesus Christ. That is done. That is your relationship to him. If you have Jesus, God is on your side and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That changes everything. That changes everything. God is for us in Christ. All right, and then, then Paul goes on to ask to kind, of, kind of look at the other half of that question. All right, so God is for us, and now he's asking, who can be against us? Who can be against us? And he talks about three, three potential enemies that could stand against us. The accusers, the condemners, and the separators. And he's going to look at each of those and say, "No, none of those will stand." First, the accuser that stands against you, verse thirty-three: "Who shall bring any charges against God's elect?" All right. So, in the Christian life, there are going to be accusers. Accusers. Now, what does an accuser do? In a legal system, the accuser he looks at he looks at all the laws that you've broken. He looks at everything you've done and summarizes it and makes it into charges. And so they, they come back and they say, okay, this is, this is first degree murder. This is grand theft auto. This is, this is larceny. They, they summarize it. And we have accusers. That non-Christians, non-Christians can be accusers. They look at our lives and they accuse us of, of hypocrisy of failure. We have other Christians who accuse us of of failing to obey as we should, to love God as much as we should. We have our own hearts that see our sins and they accuse us. We have Satan himself. Revelation says that, calls, calls Satan the great accuser who stands in heaven day and night throwing accusations against us to the Father. And the problem is that when they charge us, we feel it. When they sing things like, you you are sexually immoral. You are a liar. You are self-righteous. You are proud. You're a coward. You're a drunk. You love yourself more than you love people. You love yourself more than you love God. You don't pray enough. You don't sing loud enough. You don't read your your Bible enough. All of those things, all of those things are true. (laughs) There's no ifs, and or buts. Like, those are true. (laughs) And so we have these accusers and and they have really good accusations. And we start to wonder, well, how could God possibly be for me? This is a God who is just. How could I stand before such accusations? And Paul, Paul, look what he says. What does he say to this question? He says, it is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Now, what does that mean? He's basically saying, yeah, there's, there's, there's people who accuse you. They will, they will charge all of this stuff against you. But you know what? God is the judge. God is the judge. And he has justified you. He says you are perfect. You are sinless. You are without failing because of Jesus Christ. That because Jesus was perfect, you are perfect. That because Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law, you have perfectly fulfilled the law, there's nothing that they can say against you. That God has said you are righteous and you are and he's the judge. No one else gets a say. You don't get a say. They don't get a say. Satan doesn't get a say. God has justified. And so what, what do we do with accusations now? What do we do with accusations? Someone comes to you and says you are, you're a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. You say, Amen. And you say, "Yes, like, "Yes. Yes, I am." Or like, "Oh, you're, you're self-righteous. Like, "Yes, I, I am." You're a liar, yes. You don't know the half of it, actually. <laughs> That's what you say. That's what you say. You have no idea. Like, I know that I know my heart better than you know it, and I know that you could accuse me for a thousand other things that are way worse. And then we say, but it is God who justifies. Doesn't matter. If he says, I'm perfect and I'm righteous in Christ, then I am. And all the accusations are thrown out. That's what the gospel says. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one. No one. And if they do, it doesn't even matter. All right, next, next enemy. We've adequately killed that one, I think. All right, the, the condemners. The condemners. Who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? All right, so there's a slight distinction here. We had the accusers who say, say all, all the laws that we broke. Then there's the condemners who say all the punishment that we should receive for it the punishments that we deserve, those who condemn. And they're going to whisper to you and speak to you and say, you know what? If this is what you've done, you, you deserve. You deserve the wrath of God. God cannot be for you. You deserve eternal punishment. You deserve for your life to be miserable. You deserve to be abandoned by God. You deserve to be condemned to death. And what does Paul say to that? What does Paul say to these things? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. (coughs) He reminds us that, that Jesus Christ died. And that means Jesus Christ was already condemned. That when Jesus died on the cross, if you are in Jesus, you died on the cross, you, are, you already paid the penalty. You paid the death penalty for your sins in Jesus. And so what more condemnation, do, what, do you else, what else do they want? No, there's nothing left. That all the condemnation was put upon Jesus for you. There is nothing left to be paid. That Jesus Christ died. Is there any condemnation left for you? No. It was taken in Jesus. And then it says, not only that, okay, Jesus died, so he was condemned for you, but then he rose from the dead. Which means that, and actually the opposite is going to happen. Not only were you not condemned, you are going to be glorified and resurrected and vindicated and exalted in Jesus. That they try to accuse you, they try to condemn you, and you know what? You are, you are, you're getting glory out of it. That Jesus has already won. He has already defeated. And you are guaranteed victory. And then there's this third thing. It talks about Jesus interceding for us. So in the, in the courtroom of God, we have, we have God as judge, who we already said is for us. And as our lawyer, we have Jesus Christ. So we have Satan day in and day out accusing us and Jesus day in and day out saying, no, I paid for it. My blood has covered them. They are perfect in me. Their sins are washed away. They have already been condemned and they have been risen to life. None of these charges stick anymore. You cannot be condemned. That's what Jesus does day in and day out. Now who who is left to condemn us? No one. You cannot condemn yourself, no one else can condemn you. God does not condemn you, Jesus does not condemn you. And that's where we have to ask ourselves do we think that there are things that we've done that are unforgivable? That we carry around with us? Maybe it's the the habitual sin that we keep falling into, keep falling into. Or it's the sin in your past that keeps haunting you, and you feel like you're still being punished for it. Parents often feel this one that they made mistakes that they can't rectify. That you've, you've failed, and there's things that you can, never, you can never do to change it. And we keep going back into the courtroom expecting to be condemned. We keep going to the courtroom, going to the courtroom. Jesus is saying, he's saying, get out of the courtroom. Get out of the courtroom. There's no one left to condemn you. There is no more punishment. It's all been taken care of. You can leave and you can be free. There's no one left. If you're holding on to those things, you can let them go. And there's nothing holy in holding on to them. You need to let them go because in the reality of Jesus says you have to let them go. They are not, they're not true anymore. Those are lies keeping you from freedom. Finally, Paul's last question. Is there anyone who can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. All right, so we're saying that the the love of Christ has come upon us, that God, God is for us. Is there anything that can separate us from that love? That can keep us from receiving that love or living in that love? And Paul, Paul is, is not holding back here. He admits that we are like sheep to be slaughtered. That that often is, is the reality of the Christian life. That there is suffering that is astounding and devastating. But the question is, in all that is happening, can those things separate you from the love of Christ? And we think, when we're, when we're bearing all those things, we think well, maybe, maybe I'm not loved by God. Maybe he's not for me. Maybe I've done something and it's proving that I, I'm, I'm outside the love of God. And what does he say? What does he say? Verse 37. No. 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 Yeah, no. Exactly. No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, not only are those things ever going to separate us from the love of God, that we are more than conquerors. Now, the word there, it, it, means, it says super, we are super conquerors. Super conquerors. It's, it's, a, it's a weird word, but that, that's what it says. It says super conquerors. Now, if we're more than con- conquerors, they, they take over they destroy, they devastate, they take everything for themselves. We are more than that. We are super conquerors. Which means that all of this stuff, it doesn't even touch us. It can't do anything to hurt us. Now, it can, it can make us suffer. And it can give us great sorrow. But it cannot take anything away of what Christ has done. It cannot destroy us in the end. And in fact, all of those things, God turns around and that sword that's, that's pointed at us, it, it's put into their own hearts. That suffering is turned back and it's, it's actually used for our victory to make us more like Jesus as we talked about two weeks ago. That the more that Satan throws at us, the more suffering that is piled upon us, the more we are victorious the more we are conformed to the image of Jesus and the more we are glorified. And it's that, it's that 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 then can turn us to say, verse, verse 38, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing If you're going li- to make a list of all the things could possibly prove that God does not love us or keep us from being victorious, this is the list, and none of that has any effect. Life or death. In fact, de- death is, death is a, a victory in Christ. To die is gain. Not angels nor demons. Not things now, that you've, not things in the past, not things that you are going to do. Those things cannot condemn you. Not the heights. That no matter how, how high and holy God is compared to how low and deep our sin goes, that will not separate us from the love of Christ. That nothing in all of creation will separate you from what Christ has done for us. Nothing. It is done. No. the question was, what do we say to these things? What do we say to these things? Can you answer these questions the way Paul does? Are these your answers? They should be that if the gospel is real and the gospel is true and you really understand it, these should be your answers. That there is nothing left to condemn. There is no one left to accuse. There is nothing that can separate you. There is nothing that can keep you from getting to the eternal glory. Nothing. So what do we do with that? What do you do with that? What do you say to these things? Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 Our 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 joy is to just rest in these things. To stop fighting and stop running. To stop trying to be such good Christians. We we can rest in these things. We can stop worrying about the future. We can stop worrying about the present. That everything is set and everything is guaranteed. Christ Christ is for us. God is for us. Everything else not stand. Now, if you, if you are not in Jesus, then these promises don't, aren't for you, but they can be. If you are in Jesus, then, then he is the one who is condemned. He is the one who is acquitting you before the Lord. If you don't know Jesus, let him be condemned for you on your behalf. Let God the judge call you righteous in Christ. Let him be victorious for you. And then rest in Jesus. But finally, one, one, one last thing, one last thing. Go be super conquerors. All right, go be super conquerors. Like you you will not be defeated. So go fight. Go fight and go, go fight sin. Go fight for faith to believe these things, to believe these promises. Don't let these things just go by you. Don't let yourself be kind of caught in, in the sorrow and in the, in the guilt and in the shame. No, fight those things with these truths. This is what is true in the gospel. And go praise God. Let's pray, let's pray. <laughs> Father, you are victorious in Jesus, that you have defeated all who would stand against us. there is no one left to condemn, there is no one left to accuse us. Father, we are We are in awe of what you've done for us, that we talk about this gospel and we don't believe it because it's too good to be true. And Father, we ask, if we, it is true. It is true, and we thank you. We thank you for doing it. Father, would you give us great joy? Would you help us to praise you in light of these things? Thank you for Jesus. There's nothing else that would, would shake because Jesus Christ is for us. Thank you, Father. We praise you in his name.
1: response to that, let's sing an old hymn. The song's over 100 years old, but yet the truth of the gospel is older. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. and unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my soul shall sing that first verse again, shall we? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sin. Sing In glory, his face I at last shall see. Will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. We're singing how.
0: That your speech be filled with the strength of the Spirit, and your faith rests in the power of God, and you resolve to know nothing but one message and have one purpose to so live and reach all people with nothing but Jesus, because it is nothing but Jesus that makes people. Nothing but Jesus.
1: All right. Let's sing that song we learned at the beginning of the service. Go out with joy. Amen? Oh, come on. Let's go out with joy. Amen? All right.